0: Welcome to episode 16 of the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, a non competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Dave Barker. Hello. And for the first time, kind of, Dan Wellington. Hello. <laughs> Um, As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $1 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So, Dan, welcome back. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Um, For the listeners out there, one, you will be very aware that it has been quite a while since we've actually managed to get another episode out to you. But that doesn't mean we didn't record one in the meantime. Unfortunately, it has been lost in the warp. (laughs) Um, and Dan here was actually wonderful enough to get in touch with the show and wanted to um, come join us, and he did. And then unfortunately it never made it to air, so <laughs> we've invited him back. Are you
1: going to, get to tell uh, us the story of how he got lost? Is the a saga oh,
0: there? Yeah, oh, it's, it's horrendous. So as, the, as you listeners will know, the last time we actually got an episode published was back at the very end of May this year. And since then, there have been just constant hurdles towards getting another episode recorded and out for you guys. And believe me when I say, we have been trying. <laughs> oh yeah. yes, after um after sort like a two month delay, that's been the result of multiple reschedules. Um, across that time, I've even changed job, so that's involved having to get, um. A new laptop, new software, um, then we had to reschedule
1: again. Get the laptop, Finally. Tony. Did you manage to get your orcs out of your locker at your workplace because they were left there during lockdown, you told us?
0: Oh, yeah, so my Death Killer War trike had been sat in my locker, my old place of work, since March and has remained the longest garrison of my paint station to date as a result. In fact, he's with me <laughs> right now, because I'm just in the process of finishing off the basing for him. And I'm hoping he'll be done tonight.
1: Excellent. excellent. But that's uh, the most I important eventually. thing
0: when you change jobs. Did you get all your miniatures from work? Of course I did. I managed to you know reclaim my little paint station at work and uh, get all my supplies back together again. Um, but yeah, so like that put a, a blocker on for a couple of weeks because just I didn't have the, the hardware to be able to record the show. <laughs> Um, but then when my new job started up, I've been able to order myself a new laptop. Um, and it was, was it about four weeks ago now, Dan, that we actually recorded the last episode? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Um, or at least we tried to record it because it turns out after, you know, two, three hours of recording time, once I actually managed to get on to the audio files, um, <laughs> My audio recording was horrendous and full of static and had doubled up and all sorts of horrible, horrible things. I spent hours trying to rectify and clear. And I worked out the reason for it was because I was using a new laptop. It had defaulted to using the microphone on the laptop, not the Blue Yeti that I'd like plugged into it. Ouch. So I ended up with this horrible, sort of like staticky double voice recording and I could not do anything to save it. And that was after the the trial you had to go through, Dan, of trying to actually get yeah. your audio file across to me in the first place.
2: I, I did at least record it but then the internet wouldn't, wouldn't send it. Uh, my potato ball. internet was uh, playing up. I tried several nights send it over various methods and it wouldn't go. It, it just kept uh getting cut off halfway uh while i was asleep so in the end i ended up sending uh <laughs> sending a usb with the information on it in the post
1: <laughs> more efficient <laughs> than the internet fantastic
2: yep
0: yeah it's we the- ended up getting it the old-fashioned way classic low-tech orky uh, solution and uh, once I finally got a hold of it, I was like, "Great, awesome! I've, I've now got Dan's recording. It sounds beautiful. I've got Dan's up, uh, other Dan's recording, and that also sounds great and crystal clear. I can now stitch them all together with mine. oh know what's happened here? <laughs> and three hours plus of like audio editing later to try and recover it, and unfortunately, it was given up as a lost cause because it was just, it, you, you, it was illegible basically." And the only way I could possibly get anything was if I sounded like a tiny, tiny little quiet voice just lost in the background. And even then there was still a sort of static thread running through it and it was horrendous. And I did not want to put it out there because this, there's no point when it's that bad. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, the upshot.
2: No, go on, Dan. create Create the illusion of a professional podcast, at least. Right.
0: I know, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. We know that's all It um, is an illusion.
0: <laughs> a good one. If enough people believe it, it becomes true. <laughs> you walk. Um and as a result of that, we're now um trialing recording tonight on Zencaster. Which is something that me and Dave um had a little bit of a technical play around with last week. And it seemed to do the job quite nicely. So We're trying it sort of live tonight and hopefully it's going to hold out for us, but it should be smoother, clearer. It gets the recordings to me straight away, so we don't need to worry about sending it in the post.
1: So, (laughs) Dear listener, if you can hear us, uh, then um, I guess it's been a success. Yeah,
0: so you'll have to let us know because as of this moment, we don't know if this is going to make it to you, but hopefully it has done and hopefully after two months of just constant hurdles and trial and error we can finally get back on the air <laughs> oh and to that end there's plenty that's gone on in the, the world of Warhammer since then people have started playing Ninth again people have started playing full stop you know, <laughs> which is great um, there's a whole slew of stuff that we've got that we're going to be able to go through in the near future you know, primarily among those Crusade um, but with everything else that we've been going through, you know, here at headquarters as it were, um, we've we've not had a chance to dive properly into the new ninth edition yet. So it's probably gonna be the topic for next episode, I think. Yeah. Um, if not the next couple. Um but for tonight we have a classic mission focus one which I was wanting to do back in March, back before the lockdown because <laughs> it was it was due to arrive in the Saga of the Beast, psychic awakening, a psychic awakening book, and I only managed to get that um, probably about two months ago now. Because I think if I'd had it back then, that would have been the subject of the previous episode. So <laughs> it's been a long trek to get here, and um, we thank you for sticking with us, and um, you know, hopefully, being there to listen to this episode. <laughs> Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back recording again
0: it is it has been too long and hopefully i feel like i say this every time but hopefully this will be the start of more regular recordings
1: that's the show's catchphrase to, uh, that's that's all that yeah. I can one of these
0: days it will be true so to that end with our explanation of the saga of the cursed episode behind us hello dan welcome to the show please introduce yourself to the listeners again hello it's nice to be
2: here uh so uh yeah uh, i i'm dan um i play 40k uh i've um yeah so I've, I've been playing 40k for uh well to me it feels like a a very long time but uh in present company uh maybe not quite as long uh,
1: so, <laughs> Oh, well, some of
0: us are
2: just old, and we can't hold that down. No need to be <laughs> it puts us to shame, doesn't it? Well, it's, uh, yeah, so 20-plus years uh, since just about before 3rd Edition came out. Uh, I've been pretty much playing 40k since then. Um, uh, and as such, I've built up quite a collection of assorted things. Uh, my yeah, main armies are Orcs and Tyranids. Uh, but I've also got a Whole load of Chaos Space Marines and Admech, and some knights to go with them, uh, and some Gene Sealer Cult to go with the Tyranids, uh, and then assorted bits and pieces to go with that.
0: A nice, a nice mix. um, Tell us about your clan of choice for Orcs.
2: Ah, yes. Where I like to play uh, Snake Bites.
1: Snake Bites, primitive.
2: Picked specifically because I didn't know anyone else who was playing them.
0: I know, right? I think that I don't see many snakebite players out there, but when you do see them, they always look amazing. It's,
2: uh, it's an excuse to paint lots of rust and lots of brown and lots of war paint on mine as well. Uh, although I, I say snakebites, most recently I ran them as the uh, as the Feral Orcs from Saga of the Beast, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, we could probably talk about that in a bit.
0: Yes, because we also, for the first time in a long time, actually have a Games Played section in this show. I know, right? It feels so good. (laughs) So, yeah, there's that to look forward to as well. Um, So, Dan, what would you say is your favourite part of the hobby? Uh, So I think my favourite
2: part of the hobby as a whole uh, is just, like, the community aspect of it. Uh, I really enjoy... uh, Well, I mean, I'm here... Uh, (laughs) I enjoy yeah. um, interacting with other people, uh, talking about 40K, showing off paint jobs. Um, I, I run a blog uh, that's uh, www.redtooth.blogspot.com, uh, I think. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a, yeah, it's, it's not a very clever blog. It's just a bunch of stuff that's me keeping track of what I've done, um, mainly for my own benefit. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I, like to sort of put something out there for, uh, people to look at and to, you know, be a part of the bigger community.
0: And uh, that's evident in the fact that, um, it's fair to say you've done the rounds a little bit with some of the, uh, YouTubers and other like battle report channels out there in the UK, haven't you?
2: Yes, I, I do like a battle report, uh, and I've been on a few of them, um, which, uh, May or may not be have been the subject of uh, a uh, a previous attempted episode.
0: Yeah, and um, that's why you reached out to us because you'd um, you'd recently discovered the show and you've been listening for a bit, and you wanted to sort of talk about the subject of video battle reports and i thought it was a brilliant subject and to be honest i thought it was a brilliant episode so i think it's a real (laughs) shame that it's never yet made it to air and we will at some point in the future revisit it and we will have you on to talk about it but um yeah it's like it was it's interesting getting the insight from someone who you don't have your own channel or produce your own battle reports but you've been a guest player on a few different platforms, haven't you?
2: Yeah. It's uh, it was a peek behind the curtain.
0: Yes. That's a very good way of putting it. I mean, um, I, I, so I asked you before how it was, you discovered the show and you said you were listening to it as you were driving in the car yeah. to go to one of these Val reports you were going to play in. Yep. That was it.
2: <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, I think I found it on Twitter or something, uh, I don't know, I think you posted something and I saw it and went, oh, I'll try that narrative, whatever uh so uh, <laughs> I listened to the episode, I think it was the first one where you had uh Jake of Katie and Shock on,
0: uh, yeah, so and it, it was well that was interview with Katie and Shock, I think it <laughs> was the first one of him, um but yeah we talked about his narrative game um playing the doomsday device mission, yeah, yeah, it was a good one
2: yeah i thought it was it was pretty interesting so i uh yeah downloaded a few more
0: (laughs) and now you're here recording your second show (laughs) 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 um but yeah so uh, we're glad to have you here and we thought we'd have you back for a mission focus so um it'll be great to hear your thoughts on that later on um but since we've had a bit of a ramble there from uh, yourself and from me, I think it's about time we jump into our paint station garrison or possibly indeed uh, paint station battalion, I don't know, paint fortress. Station, paint station stronghold, shall we say. A stronghold. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll be back with that in a second, guys. And we're back, guys. So, Dave, take us through your complete parade of models that you've been busy painting through for the last two and a half months.
1: Yeah, well, it has been two and a half months since we last recorded. And uh, I've been in lockdown at home, like like many other people I'm working from home. So I... uh... My, my computer desk that I stand at during the day, I, I turn around, I move about two feet and I sit down at my painting desk. So uh, I get a half an hour in just to wind down after work and then a bit more time in the evenings and weekends. Uh, when I'm not having to tidy the house, I'll go to the tip or the innumerable things I need to do with the wife and kids. So I've managed to get a fair bit. I've, I've slowed down a little bit um, as I've been trying to tidy my room rather somewhat. And I've, I've built a death watch army as well, which is not really painted yet. So I've I've had a few other things on the go that keep me busy, but I've managed to yeah,
0: just, just casually build a Death Watch army as well. Just, well, just I, a little distraction.
1: I found it while I was tidying up and I thought I should build that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I managed to get quite a lot painted, mostly 40 game, uh not entirely. And I guess the biggest thing really is the Flesh Eater's army. So I'd just about started that, I think, last time uh, we talked. Um, and... Um, I'd, I'd got a, a couple of base units done, but since then I've I fleshed that out. And I posted that on the group for anybody that's uh, on our Narrative Wargamer Facebook group. <clears throat> I've been posting the pics regularly there of things that I complete. And uh, uh, the Flesh Eaters are an army I was talking about uh, in the last couple of episodes that we recorded. Uh, something that I wanted to do. I was, I was dithering whether I should do Flesh Eaters or Blood Drinkers. And I finally settled on the Flesh Eaters after having... Uh, I woke up one morning in my head... I just I knew how I paint, wanted to paint the dark red that they've come out in, uh, and that's that's worked really well. And inspired it on, so I've completed uh, five Assault Terminators and uh, twenty Assault Marines with jump packs, a uh, Stormhawk interceptor, uh, a Razorback, a Drop Pod um, to go with the 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 ones I painted before the the term, the Assault Marines without. Uh, Without jump packs and the, the Rhino, I'd started painting, and I got some officers in there, a Sanguinary Priest, because I run them as Blood Angels, because they're Blood Angels' uh, uh, successor chapter, uh, a company ancient, uh, a captain and a couple of lieutenants. Um, so yeah, they've they've formed into a good army. I'm doing a few little bits uh, to continue to expand them, but now we're just expanding them to become a back type, background objective, and it's nice to have finished a. It's my lockdown army, my flesh eaters, and. Um, salty space marines is quite a good thing uh, to to come into ninth edition with. Although I wasn't expecting that to come along when we when we started it, so that's been fun. Uh, but they're not the only space marines I've been painting. I did uh, some rainbow warriors. I, I finished a, a, a five man stern guard squad and uh, and a whirlwind. I got my uh, my rainbow warriors whirlwind finished at first, which I'm really pleased with. That came out quite nicely. Bunch of rainbows and transfers on it. This looks good. Uh, I painted a few Death Watch, which is one of the things that triggered me into building the army that I talked about. Uh, I'd already got a five-man veteran squad uh, of just like random uh, marines that I'd built. Oh, I must have built those about 20, 25 years ago, and I finally got around to painting them. Uh, I mentioned that in the last, uh, last uh, episode. But I since it's then... It's probably I've... the average delay for most hobbyists. Yeah, yeah, it's probably quite fast for most hobbyists, right? <laughs> <laughs> um but I got another five uh, assault marines with jetpacks uh, built so I got them painted um, as well as a primary dreadnought um, and the dreadnought I was really really happy with because I, um, I chose to do it as one of my friend's uh, custom chapters he's, uh, he's created his own chapter called the Salarius rangers which are effectively um, uh, they're, they're buzz lightning marines right uh, but he's he's done a really nice uh, off white. It looks white when you see it, but when you get up close to it, it's really, really very grey, um, as a primary colour. Oh,
0: yeah, almost sort of like Space Wolves in white. Yeah, like you know, not, not quite white, but exactly in the way that they're not quite blue.
1: Yeah, that step lighter towards towards white, but it's obviously grey when you come up to it. Uh, and it's a really interesting colour. And he gave me the recipe, which I would reproduced. And he uses the same chapter symbol as the Star Phantoms. Uh, so he got some Star Phantoms transfers off the internet, and he gave me a couple. Um, so I've now added to my own Death Watch uh, includes, a, 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 well, in this case, a, a Dreadnought, uh, but a Marine from from my friend's custom chapter, which just makes me full of joy, right? <laughs> That's a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they can't all be rainbow wires, right? <laughs> um, but I've not restricted myself to those, the space marines. Um, I've I dug out a few random models just as palette cleansers. Um, so I painted a Commander Shadowson uh, just to practice the white and and to play with the, the contrast apothecary white, uh, which I think came out pretty well. Although I've got no really particular desire to paint Tower, that, that model. The, it was the older Finecast one rather than the new one. I do have the new one, but, um, but this was the older one. I, I did a test model for my Sisters of Battle. I've not really gone on with them, but I was really pleased with the Imagifia. I don't know how to say that. How do we say that for the Sisters of Battle? The... I believe it's Imagifier. Imagifier. Imagif- I don't know. Is it French? Imagifier? I don't know. You know the <laughs> one with a big, tall standard. <laughs> uh, so she came out okay. I was really pleased. I'm going to do Bloody Rose uh, when I when I finally paint some more of them. Um, I did some more of the hassle Space Dwarf Grims. Uh, so there's beardless space dwarfs, and I also painted four proper old-school squats um, uh, in the colours of the beyond the brotherhood, uh, as well as a, a third-party uh, slaver to go with them, um, or to fight against them, not quite sure which, uh, so so really pleased with those, and I'm slowly going to finally get painted on my squats, but it, I, I was thinking about making it my next main army, but I, I'm just, the hobby butterfly struck me, as you can hear, and I'm, I'm a little bit all over them because i also painted uh, 20 chain masks for nighthorns as well as nagash uh, the old old cartoony metal uh nagash uh, which i've had around for a while um, and mostly in contrast paints with just a little bit of metal and i am really pleased with the, with the way he came out uh, just as a again a different palette cleanser but but to fit in with my my horn and i've started on a lizardman team for blood Bowl, so when we finished a couple of skinks so i've got croxy go on my table waiting to, to go forward and then a few other things, uh, half painted, waiting to go forward, and a bit more work on my Rainbow Warrior, Robert um, uh I've painted some Ultramarine Terminators. I forgot about those. Um, I've started another new. Oh yeah, it's all
0: the, yeah. those are the ones the, like classic Second Edition paint scheme with the like hazard strike power fists.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Dan. If you started in uh, at the end of Second Edition with with Orcs and Terminators, these are your foes, right? <laughs>
2: I I remember them fondly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I dug through the, the, all my old material and, and looked at what I like. And I, I am quite often drawn to second edition styling um, for, for, for lots of different armies. And I just saw the, the Terminators with the uh, you know, red encased weapons uh, in the blue Ultramarine. Yes. The hazard stripes on the power fists and the chain fists. And, um, and I've taken it from there. And then I've just added just a little bit with the. I don't know if you know on the. the, the if you remember on the Space Marine transfer sheet, there's like a line of checks as a transfer. Yeah. And I've been cutting them up and using them as sort of like a campaign marking, and it just it just feels right for these second edition Marines. It's come out really well. So that's uh, I've painted five of them, and that's what I'm I'm working on tonight as we're talking. I'm painting another five to make my first full squad of 10. And all told, it's an army of about 43 Marines. I've not pointed it up fully, uh, but it's uh, more than enough to make a crusade army including a um, an apothecary terminator, which is technically you can't have them in the rules, but you couldn't put a normal apothecary in, even if I have to use normal rules for him. <laughs> um,
0: I think the um, the Wing have some rules for um, apothecary terminators.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe. But... Uh, so, yeah, I bought them half built already, the second hand from a, a guy in our club who started building them and, and, and given up on them. So, yeah, more of my hobby, butterfly hitting again. And then just more of the same, all the things we talked about. And the only other thing, things on my desk, I've got a, a Mourn Gull ready to paint uh, the, the forge world thing for the night hunt. And I've got an old, old elf uh, dragon, a uh, wood elf dragon that I started painting as well. Just uh, Again, it's just a bit of a palette cleanser, something different. So, uh, awful lot going on. Uh, little bits all over the place. I've even, uh, I guess the last thing I've built, is not even primed yet, but I've recently finished building uh, Gazgul. Uh, so, uh, I've got my Gazgul ready to go, and I should get some paint on him soon. No? Which edition of Gazgul? Because it could be any of oh, you. No, that's true, I've got them all. Uh, there, I meant the new plastic <laughs> 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 right, new eight fed slash nine fed girls That's right, the one that's the size of a dreadnought, uh, not the one that's uh, the size of a uh, uh, an old firstborn. <laughs> so yeah, lots of fun there. And uh, uh, Yeah, it's uh, kept me going during lockdown before I've been able to play again.
0: Like I say you don't say. I, I don't know how you do it. How you find the time?
1: But, yeah, half an hour there. You know, and you know, an hour or a couple of hours when I get time of the weekend, um, and it just it uh, adds up. It really does. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. I know I'm very lucky to be able to have a permanent setup and a bit of time to do stuff, and um, and a wife that likes to watch period dramas that I really don't like to watch. So that, that gives me the opportunity to sneak upstairs <laughs> and paint toy soldiers. Right.
0: Whereas by comparison. I'm still working on the same model that I was working on back in March.
1: I did, <laughs> it did get trapped, let's be fair.
0: Yeah, it is true, yes, but I'm actually applying like the, um, the grass tufts to my Deathkiller War trike at the moment. So once they're on, I can paint the base rim and he will be done You know, six months later, but whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, other than that, the... The main thing that I'd been painting over sort of like the last month was a Necromunda gang. So I'd been... So whereas you've painted approximately 10,000 models, Dave, I believe I've painted about 10.
1: Uh, I've painted 156 models during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> of course you Of course you got <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but yeah so mine are all um these chaos cultists for wonder because i've been putting together the children of hellmore my chaos cult and i've been having a lot of fun with them um they were my first experiment with contrast paints mm-hmm. um and i do enjoy them i've had some um, mixed results um from one or two of them because they weren't quite what i was wanting to get out of them for that project but things like um Black Templar, I think, is amazing, and it's just going to be a staple of some of my um, paints moving forwards. Um, so that's been really fun. Um, I've had lots of fun little ways of taking, you know, Necromunda style humans and making them look Chaos Culty. So sort of shaving heads, tattoos, stuff like that. They're a lot of fun, and um, I even turned a very old Games Day Chaos Sorcerer um, from Warhammer Fantasy Battle into my Cult Witch. Um, so he's um, he's all covered in like mutations and tentacles, and um,
1: but he still looks pretty roided out because he's a chaos warrior. Have you converted him out of parts from something else, or did you green stuff him up together as kind of conversions?
0: No, no, that's how he came. Um, the only thing I've done was I've, I've like sci fied him a little bit, so I've given him um, a pistol holster from some chaos model, so It's got like you know the chaos stars on it. Um, he's got um some of the Escher grenades and knives and blades and stuff on his back, and um the like armored shoulder pad that he has, I've painted in like hazard stripes, so it looks like it's obviously like a reclaimed piece of like furnace plating or something. Yeah, and then stuck him on a necromunda base, and um he, he looks like he fits the scene perfectly. Like he looks like a a chaos worshipping cult, you know, figurehead. Um, but he looks like he's come from somewhere in the Underhive and covered himself in all this gaudy stuff to look the part. The majority of the last month I've been working on that uh, Necromond again, and it's, um, it's been a nice change of pace to my at Orcs. Um, Although with the completion of this Death Killer War trike, I have worked out that in Ninth edition um, monies, I have uh, 1750 points of painted Orcs now. Which I'm really pleased about. So, hopefully, in the near future, I'll be able to play my first, first lifetime ever game with a fully painted army on a fully painted
1: board. Hopefully, against yeah. the opponent of a fully painted army. Brilliant. I, I'm interested there. Uh, I'm just a small diversion on my ninth, if you don't mind, Tony, because he's gonna it yeah. going to uh, keep. You said you only got nearly 1750 points. I've not calculated points values, I bought a book that, that tells me how to. But uh, I, I played one one game at ninth, which I'll talk about later in the right section of this uh, this cast. But um, my opponent approached me in terms of power level, and I didn't even think about it because we played Crusade, and that's that's quite often driven by power level. I've not yet found the time to work out points; it's not really even occurred to me to do so. Uh, are you inclined to move towards power level with some of the changes, or is is I... is points still the way you feel you should go? For me personally,
0: I'm quite happy to try either. And now I have to say that throughout 8th edition, I never felt the inclination to bother trying power level. It just didn't seem like it was necessary. Not when I've spent, you know, years and years and years playing with points. That's just what I'm accustomed to. There didn't seem to be any purpose for the change. However, with the advent of Crusade, I feel like... The point, um I feel like power level is intended for it, if I make sense. Yeah. Like, you know, it is the intended currency to use for Crusade. And I think I think perhaps it almost helps enforce the idea of a relaxed attitude to the games when you're just using power level to put the lists together. So I have to admit I've not really worked out what my force is in power level. I've just looked at it from you know, habit of a lifetime just to curiously see what it stacks up as, yeah.
1: Um,
0: because I know I've got in total, I've now just passed two thousand points of painted orc models, but because a chunk of that is tied up in like HQ units and such, um, the best way it comes together is a, a functioning list is seventeen fifty points. Um, so I haven't really looked at it from a Okay. A power level perspective yet. But I am wanting to because I haven't yet thought about how I would apply my force as a crusade force. Right. Um I'm just I was just curious what like the, the total painted value came to. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm i definitely want to give it a try and I have heard it seems like there's a shift in attitude towards it where I think the majority of people in eighth edition didn't think about power level too much but it seems like it's a lot more just in the
1: conversation these days with ninth yeah I, I i i understand exactly what you're saying because i had the same feeling with eighth and i wasn't interested i only started using power level on on friday night at our club when we'd been at work all week and both of us had got armies in the car and we at four o'clock before we got there at six we'd be like have you got an army list yet no, shall we use power level? Yeah, that would be faster, <laughs> so I only really tried it from from a position of laziness, really, but once we started using it, it, it i found it to be quite good, and I' find it the same so far now uh Dan, I mean we've not talked much about uh how you play uh do you usually play points or power level uh i
2: I generally have played points, but um power level occasionally uh, I definitely think that it it has a different place to points yeah, um it's. As you say, it's for laziness. It's for, let's just shove some toys on the table and then see what it is. Uh, Whereas if you're going to spend like an hour writing a list for a game in a week or whatever, then you might as well use points. Uh, But it works really well for Crusade because you've got this roster of however many power level that you pick from for each game. So it's very easy to chop and change what you're going to take Depending on what makes sense for the scenario and stuff, so I think it's it's you know ideal for that sort of that sort of game.
0: Yeah, I do think also as a side note that I think power level lends itself um, as a better system for the random army generator from yeah. Chapter Approved twenty nineteen. If you're going to play a game where you use that and you know you're pulling from your collection based on um, the, the army generator, I think it's a lot smoother to use power level for something like that than it is to try and minutely work out the granular values points for something like that. So yeah, I think it, it definitely has its place.
1: Yeah, and we, we, we talked about that a couple of episodes ago and that's a really interesting feature that's, that's still out there, still valid, and it is really interesting way to play if people are not familiar with it. Yeah, I mean
0: it bears saying again that I think it's brilliant that Games Like Shop has made this edition transition entirely backwards compatible with all the gaming supplements and expansions and everything that's out there from 8th. Because, like we're going to talk tonight, we're going to be talking about an 8th edition mission. You know, it's not going to be one of these ones that uses primaries and secondaries and as a scoring system of, you know, out of 100 points, like the majority of the new sort of like match play missions um or to be honest even the crusade missions used sort of primary system don't it it's just that they use the um is it agendas yes rather right. than secondaries yeah um whereas this is one of these more classic narrative missions where there's just kind of like an end game result there's a a victory or loss condition that both players are trying to bring about or prevent. But it works entirely within the context of the 9th edition rules. Yeah. So it's still great. <laughs> and yeah. it,
1: hence we can still play it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, that was my fault going off on a slight detour. We're still in Paint Station Garrison, technically. We are. We've uh, so, reviewed some other things. Apologies, uh, Tony.
0: So let's let's work our way back around to Dan. What's uh, What have you been working on recently?
2: Oh, That's a good question. Uh, so it depends on how you define recently if we go back to since the start it, of lockdown does it
1: depend on how we define work as well then
2: uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so um i guess uh 40k wise i haven't actually painted that much 40k stuff recently uh most recently i did the um uh, uh taraxi sterilizers uh and Cerberus raiders which is a, a bit of a nightmare for spell checker uh, among other things but they're uh, really Absolutely cool really, really cool models yeah the new Admech, uh, the the flappy boys and the horsey boys um <laughs> but uh, yeah i really enjoy painting them uh and I, i'm happy with how they look having said that they've played in one game so far uh, I'll, I'll tell you about that later uh but one of the one of the um Teraxes already broken off its base so uh <laughs> i of think course, yeah. i think they need magnets that's uh i gave those those uh, funny new flying stands a chance but i think they need magnets um
1: you'd have thought that was an easy thing for admec to uh, be able to sort out right
2: <laughs> yeah uh, aside from that it's been um some non-40k stuff uh first half of lockdown i painted a, a big chunk of a, a lizard man slash seraphon army uh which is uh pretty cool i i had a whole load of them from from years ago uh, and i decided they needed to have dinosaurs and a big frog Sometimes. so now they have that uh and apart from that i've been painting uh, and building some weird turnip men uh f- i don't know if anyone's seen the um uh the the turnip 28 stuff um no. that's been uh, <laughs> popping no, up it on, sounds on, intriguing <laughs> it's been popping up on twitter and uh uh instagram and stuff but it's it's basically this weird kind of um like alternate reality where uh, the napoleonic wars dragged on um for hundreds of years uh, and the world got invaded by or got taken over by uh, some sort of malicious root vegetables that destroyed yeah. all life apart from humans who were like in this desperate post-apocalyptic survival state of gathering turnips and stuff uh, it's really weird, but it's uh, it's quite fun. Sounds it.
1: <laughs> it does sound weird and, uh, and unusual, and, and even weirder, I've got a sensible comment to make in addition to that, that if you've not seen it already, uh, from a recent Kickstarter that Bad Squidoo Games did, uh, they did a potato head and a carrot character from World War Two posters, which you might find useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a, that's a good tip there.
1: Yeah, Dr. Carrot and Mr. Potato, I think it was. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Might have to look into
1: that. What has lockdown done to us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was a bit like that before, Tony. <laughs> uh, I just
0: need to roll some dice. <laughs> um, but before we talk about that, I think we will jump straight, straight into our Community Edge highlights here and sort of uh, stick it on the end of our paint station garrison because, I mean... As you can imagine, since the last episode, there's been plenty of stuff that you guys have been up to in the Facebook group, so yeah, um, yeah. some particular highlights that we're going to talk about now.
1: We've had a good influx of new people joining, um, uh, and that's been great to see.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, um, it's been, I mean, <laughs> just today we've had um, a couple of people join the group and it's brilliant, it really is starting to grow, but um, some of the regulars... I've also been very busy over the last um, couple of months. In particular, Mr. Francisco Vera. Seems like anyway. he paints
2: almost as much, if not more, than Dave.
1: I think he does yeah. paint a little. I'm not the only uh, volume painter in the group. He's uh, it's, it's brilliant. A lot of what we've seen from Francisco has been brilliant. But um, I know you were particularly taken with his indomitus stuff, right, Tony?
0: Yeah, so um, he's gone through the entire Necron half of Indomitus in a single weekend. Oof. <laughs> and, you know, it looks good. And he, he I mean, he honestly just gets a, an honourable mention at this point in most community highlights because <laughs> every week he literally posts, like, a weekly roundup of what he's painted that week. Yeah. And it's always several pictures of multiple things. Um, and I know the other month... The Imperial Fist Siege Dreadnought he painted, yeah, um, was lovely. That was particularly, uh, oh yeah, a notable piece. But then an entire you know Necron Indomitus set in like two days, even for, even by his standards, it was uh, really impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I like I
2: like those um Scorpec Destroyers that he did. The uh, the blades look nice and shiny. Uh, I'm a bit of a sucker for the uh, kind of uh, glowing blade effects. So uh, uh, I like that.
1: Um, I I quite liked it. They were slightly simpler than some of the others, but his orcs have been really nice as well. I think they're worth a mention.
0: Yeah, they have been. Um, Again, he's just cracking through them. I wish I got through my orcs that quickly. (laughs) Um, And then as well as that, there's been a lot more stuff in the last, let's say, two to three weeks. Popping up of them, um, people playing games for the first time, or you know, discussing their sort of like first Ninth Edition um, experiences. Mister um, Tom Blanding in particular was showing his um, his first Crusade games. Um, I think he it looked like he had a couple of friends sort of around and they were playing some probably twenty five power level games. I think by the looks of it, sort of like you know early days Crusading, yeah, as it were. Um and then <laughs> I've got my notes here. Uh, there was also a particular battle report that was discussed by one Dan Wellington. Hello. Um, his Alpha Legion and his Sunesh Demons, which I think will probably end up moving into our actual games played section, won't it? <laughs> yeah,
2: I'll I'll cover that shortly. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um so yeah, was there um anything else that either of you two particularly wanted to Pick up or point out from the
1: community? I know there's uh, just, I mean, there's almost too much stuff to mention. There's been a lot of stuff coming through in the last two and a half months, um, and it's brilliant. Yeah, we just got so much to get from this
0: episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how,
2: far, how far back do you want to go?
1: I think almost just want to say that thanks for everybody to continue to be great, great community, on, on especially on the Facebook page and those that respond to the, the Twitter posts, and, and seeing that interaction and, and engaging with it is fantastic.
0: It is, it really is. And it's been keeping us going you know while we've not been able to actually get another episode out to you guys it's been wonderful to see you all actually sharing in the hobby together so yeah keep you up um, so yeah we will move on to for the first time in a long time some games played so we'll be back in a moment guys are you enjoying the narrative war podcast if you are why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative 40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. And for the first time in a long time, we've been rolling some dice. Hey. Or at least Dan certainly has. Dave has. <laughs> I've been looking on very jealously. Because I've not actually played the games yet. I'm hoping hoping so badly that I'll get in in the next week or two at the latest. But um yeah. Dan, tell us about sure. everything you
2: know. Right, so uh, I've had three games of Ninth Edition now, uh, and they've all been a lot of fun. Uh, I'll start at the beginning. The first game was, as you previously mentioned, I uh, took my Alpha Legion against the uh, Emperor's Children slash Slenish Demons. Um, uh, it was uh, it was a learning experience. Uh, I did make a lot of very silly mistakes. I was a bit rusty. Uh, like um, I had a, a Dark Apostle who basically stood on an objective. Uh, and wasn't able to do his prayers on anything because everything was too far away from him all the time. So uh yeah, rookie mistakes. Um but it was uh, it was just good to get back and rolling dice. Uh and uh I uh, I took pictures and put uh, a report on my blog, uh, which is nice. Um and yeah, it was it was just good to get back into it in it. Uh it was a it might a match play game, but um you yeah, know, it's uh, it's good to have a go with ninth edition and get your head around the, the new rules and all the all the bits and pieces i think the um the secondaries are that uh, you know are very sort of tournament sort of ask yes but they do kind of lend themselves a bit to narrative because you you kind of pick ones based on what your army can do what your army is is mm-hmm.
0: intending to do uh, so, in yeah, that one, it's not, uh, like you, it's not like you're going to be getting hold the line for your orcs in military. Yeah, exactly. What, exactly. Know,
2: as- assuming your army plays the way it's narratively supposed to, you pick uh, secondaries that support it narratively as well, uh, which is quite good. Uh, second game I played was a um, another match play game. It was I took my orcs against the corn demons. Uh, Which was, as you can imagine, a proper bloodbath. Uh, It was um, uh, a big smash up in the middle. Lots of stuff died. Somehow, I ended up with almost as many boys as I started with. He just killed off all my characters (laughs) and my big, like, my knobs and stuff. So I just, I was able to swamp the board. uh, And it was an incredibly tight game that came down to the last charge, um, whether I could get onto the objective and push him off. uh, And thankfully as previously mentioned i was running the feral orcs from uh from saga of the beast uh, which gives your your boys um a bonus to advancing and it also gives you a six inch pile in uh, which was incredibly useful when you're making a long bomb charge and you just tag a unit on the objective suddenly all your boys can pile in six inches you can get a whole load more fighting wipe out the blood letters you hold the objective boom win the game uh it was uh quite a quite an epic confrontation i enjoyed it a lot uh and then finally uh just the other day i played my first game of crusade uh, which is uh was a lot of fun i took my ab mech um and it took the excuse to give all give all my characters names and stuff like that, uh, that i haven't previously done with that army and i played against um Emperor's children.
0: A small thing, but it does so much for your army,
2: doesn't it? It really makes you feel invested in it. It makes a big difference. Um, it really does. Uh, and having this, we kind of, I played against the same player who uh, had the the uh, slanesh force before. Um, but we both had a bit of a, a talk at the start about kind of the narratives behind our list. Uh, and I, I decided my guys were were looking for archaeotech. That was kind of their whole whole deal. Um, and he decided that his kind of campaign goal was basically just he wanted his demon prince, or his demon prince wanted to be a legend. Uh he just wanted to like upgrade to the demon prince to maximum rank uh to to basically just be like the big boss uh and rival Fulgrim, uh, which was pretty cool. So we we played this this list uh we played this game and we both put the set the um the agendas specific to what we thought narratively made sense rather than what actually Worked for the game. I don't know if you've looked too much into it. The agendas are uh, rather than giving you bonus points to winning the game, they give you bonus experience points to your units. They don't actually affect winning the game at all. So it's kind of like you have these little secondary objectives you go off and do that don't affect the main game. You just do them because you want your units to level up, uh, but also because it's narrative. So there's one that is search for Archaeotech, which I picked which meant I had to send a guy off into his deployment zone to stand around for two turns to look for it, uh, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, did he uh, find anything? He did. In fact, he was the last model in my army left alive, uh, and he had a, a last-ditch uh, kind of holdout against some Chaos Terminators to uh, to try and hold on and survive. Uh, sadly, he fell at the end, but I, I was lucky enough not to have him be injured because uh, you, you roll for each unit at the end of the game to see if they're hurt or not, or if they suffer any negative effects, and everyone got through. So as a result of that, he picked up enough experience points that he could level up. Uh, and accordingly, I picked um, a Crusade Relic for him to have, because I thought, you know, that's what he found, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the
2: Archeotech that exactly.
0: Would try to keep him away from.
2: Yeah. So uh, it you know, it worked out perfectly narratively, even though I lost the game quite badly. Uh, so uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a very different experience
0: to playing the match play games. Which is, I mean, that's all you could ask for our crusade, really, isn't it? Like, you get to tell a really cool story of your army. It's a game you'll probably remember for a long time, and you get to see how... That means your forces have actually progressed into the next game. You're now going to have the archaeotech. Exactly. It's
2: a uh, you know, it's a story that wrote itself in the game. Uh, so it you know, crusade in that instance was working perfectly.
0: Good, and uh, did the did the emperor's children come out of it with anything noteworthy as well? Yeah. So, um, he took
2: an agenda that was called reaper that gives you bonus experience points for your unit that killed the most enemy units in the game so he had a couple of his units kind of competing with each other to see who could kill the most and therefore who would get the experience points at the end Uh, in the end the noise marines just pipped the terminators having killed the most things so they got um, enough experience points to level up as well Uh, and they became veteran warriors which means they can reroll ones to hit uh as if basically as if they're standing next to a chaos lord or whatever the whole time Uh which
0: is pretty cool that is just very emperor's children though isn't it where like they bombastically try to show off and impress each other and prove that they're the best e- even over their comrades
2: yeah we we both absolutely just picked objectives that yeah made narrative sense uh and that really made the game um, a lot better than I think. If it could have been, if we just picked the ones that were easiest to achieve.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. Excellent. And um, then, did you say you'd had one more game, or was that the last one?
2: That uh, that, was that was that was the three games. I right. do have a. I do have another game lined up for Friday. Uh, it's another match play game. I'm getting my Tyranids out for that. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Excellent. Um, so Dave, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, managed to get one game of, of 19. Before that, I, have not entered it in the, the, uh, <laughs> the show notes, but I have remembered something else, 40K game that I've been playing recently. And over the last few weeks, uh, one of the lads from our club has set up a, a Wrath and Glory role-playing game, uh, which I've been playing. Oh. Um, so for those Ooh, that yeah. don't know, Wrath and Glory is, um, uh, a role-playing game of 40K, uh that seems to be the currently supported one after Fantasy Flight Games had the um, Death Watch series and the Rogue Trade and they had a whole bunch of them. When the, those licences ran out, Cubicle 7, well, I don't know whether they picked it up originally themselves, but Cubicle 7, running now, uh, um, the Wrath and Glory role-playing game. We picked up copies uh, at the start of Lockdown on um, Drive-Thru RPG, and uh, this Drive-Thru in as well. And... Um, uh, and we have we've been playing on Zoom calls. Well, we gave up on that fairly are quickly. You playing some variety of Flesh Terror. Actually, no, I'm playing a Rogue Trader. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, called Jack, and um, we we're on a ship, and the other guys are on the ship. There's one space marine scout and a um, uh, um, and an admic um, skitari. That's the word I was looking for. And we got a. And a sanctioned Psyker Oh, he's a a Blood Angel scout. Although although the sanctioned Psyker is from Fenris. Right, but he's he's not a space wolf. That's correct. Not a space wolf. Um, I'm trying to remember. We got a oh, a a priest as well. Uh, missionary priest uh, in the group too and uh chris who runs it is brilliant uh, technically it's my ship but of course we all we all just play together and we we started by being discovered that we've got a, a gene stealer infestation and we've been clearing out hybrids and uh, and some pure strains. Uh, at the same time as our warp field failed, so we had to fight off a demonic incursion, including some plague marines. And then, as we've transitioned back into real space, we've then suddenly been assailed by orcs. Um, so Chris is throwing everything at us at the moment. An awful oh, lot of narrative and fun to be had uh, in in a game like that.
2: Uh, I've I've um, not recently, but I've also run uh, Wrath and Glory a couple of times. I've, I've... Yeah, I definitely like the system. It's uh, a lot more sort of story focused than the old uh fantasy flight games. Yeah. Um, absolutely it it appeals to me a
0: lot more.
1: Yeah, and- See,
0: I, I'm I'm a big fan of um all right, so to be fair, I'm a big fan of Only War. I think Only War was the best of the um the Fantasy Flight ones. So I think their role system translated best to representing guardsmen like i've i've heard that things like the death watch um one could be a bit sort of either clunky or over the top or both
1: i think they've all worked wrath and glory is even better at it but they've all worked when you don't try and take it too seriously or too heavy Uh, although only war worked probably the best as um um, in terms of sort of the realism of the role-playing game to get the flavor across I, i completely agree with you tony I did run a Death Watch campaign at our club uh, over about four sessions, campaigns a bit brand, about four sessions that we had where I run a little campaign and everybody played a space marine. And um, we we kept it light. It was silly. We just did we'd fast missions. And, and you saw my avatar in the game, so as good as the Games Masters, I got somebody in there that can help control them. They were all reported to me. I ran a sergeant, an angry marine sergeant, um, uh, <laughs> who's, uh, yeah, I can't give you his name because it's a swear word. <laughs> But, um, uh, yeah, they just shouted them all the time. And he, he always referred to the Blood Angel as um, Twilight. And it was entirely yeah. disrespectful. And um, But it was fun. It was light. We just kept it light. And it, it worked really well that way, uh, you know, uh, in a very narrative kind of way.
0: I do at some point want to run another Only War campaign in the future. I feel like between Jake, Dan, Chris yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a, the makings of a, a really good little role play group there. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's good.
1: Anyway, sorry, I didn't even put that in. There's no show notes, but I've remembered that was something else. 40K. That we've been Games played, uh, it counts for, right? Um, it's a game. You played it. And it, it, it is 40K narrative related. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll not talk about cockers on that. I've been playing. That's not 40K related. Um, but the, the other game I've played is a game of ninth. So, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, last week, last che- Tuesday last, we're recording on Wednesday now. Uh, eight days ago, um, I had my first game of Garden Hammer. So uh, our club, some clubs have been able to reopen, and that's awesome. But our our club, we've just not been able to make it work yet. We know what we need to do to keep everybody safe, uh, but we just don't have enough space uh, with those constraints to make it financially viable. So we're just going to stay uh, stay close for a while longer, particularly because the centre's not so keen for us to open again yet either. So you know, we don't want anybody to get COVID because they've met up to play games, so we, we're staying safe. But some of us uh, have been playing Garden Hammer, and um, eight days ago, Lewis, uh, one of my friends uh, who used to live in my village, comes to our club, um, he, he came over to my back garden, and we played safely outside in the in the setting sun, uh, our first uh, Crusade game. So I my chance to get the flesh terrors on the table, uh, led by, uh, as you said, naming them was great fun, right, Dan? And, mm-hmm. uh, Led by my new lieutenant, Cleve seemed an appropriate name for a, a flesh eater. Fair, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I had a lieutenant. Uh, I'd got my Razor back on the table. I had a five-man assault squad with with jump packs and uh, my Terminator assault squad. Uh, which you got four guys with lightning claws and a, a guy with a thunder summit and storm shield um so they they i don't remember what they are off the top of my head i haven't got my notes with me uh, but they were all named as well i just don't remember what all their names were um but it, uh, and he brought uh, science uh, And and lewis is no slouch he's uh who is an awful lot younger than me, but he's he's won tournaments. He won the, the, what's it called, the No Retreat tournament in Gibraltar a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, so oh, he yeah. he's really, um, he's no slouch. But he came, it was a fun game, it's narrative, we just wanted to strike crusade. Um, we we know where we are with it, and uh, we were on the same page we're playing. But he brought Scions, uh, two of those uh, truck things for Scions, which are called towers Taurox, tower tower yeah, thank you very much. Or as I call them, orc Trucks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and they, they are, I mean, in some sense they are. They're quite lightly armoured. They, they've not got so many wounds really for what they are, but they're quite quite heavily gunned. I, I was just
0: meaning that my orc Trucks are physically built out of Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Works
1: in both ways. Sorry, Tony. Sorry. <laughs> Works in both ways. But they are, you know what I mean, they are quite lightly armoured and heavily armed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell you what you uh, mean. He got two scion plasma, 10-man t- plasma armed hotshot squads. Uh, and I left 10 at meeting them. And, um, uh, we started off um, uh, with just the, the mission one. Uh, is it hit and run? Um, I can't remember. With the middle zone with the four objectives. Um, and uh, like you said, we, we chose narrative uh, agendas. Uh, so for the flesh eaters, uh, mine was um, uh, called He's the, the called the herd i think it is or something like that where the most number of uh, enemy models slain is the one that gets the bonus experience at the end and um, i i think I, I can't say that i i played badly i think louis played better which we kind of both expected anyway um and i think i could perhaps have been a little unlucky on the dice uh, but i can't really complain it all worked out quite fair louis got the drop in the first turn uh, he got himself into a good position. He, he only won by ten points, but he also did table me by turn four. <laughs> uh, and part of that was I, I never really got my terminators into into assault. He managed to shoot them up with the talks before I got too far. Although they managed to claim some victory points, and my um, my assault squad was cut down with, by um, overwatching uh, as I, as I charged into them. But I couldn't not charge in with, with my first game with my my assault flesh towers. Uh, and then it got into it between the uh, the lieutenant, we've we got a chainsaw and a, a, a bolt pistol. Uh, and he, he yes, he just started slaying through stuff and he was really quite good. He took out the Torx. He took out both Torx, actually, on his own. <laughs> um, the last cannons on the Razorback uh, did dents into them. Uh, but they they weren't really quite as effective as you would normally hope for las last cannons. Uh, and actually, I got in a position where the Taurox the uh, started getting rammed by my <laughs> Razorback. Um, and that, that's when we started discovering, well, because uh, I don't think I've actually gone into assault with a vehicle for a long time. And we realized, well, there's Space Marines, and he's just assaulted, so doesn't he get plus one attack on the Razorback, even though it's six plus to wound? <laughs> Um, and a Blood Angel vehicle as well. (laughs) So it all all went a little bit weird at one point. (laughs) But they, they, yes, he knocked some wounds off by uh, dinging panels between other vehicles. Um. And eventually he, he, he got the better of me. But the, the lieutenant went in; he was killing the Torox. He got rid of his, his the opposing lieutenant really easily, uh, as you would imagine. He's, he's quite a lot stronger, but uh, he was overwhelmed really by the, the mass of sounds. And then uh, Lewis managed to win by ten victory points there. But uh, an awful lot of fun. So much, so much good fun to all the dice. And I'd, I've got some of the new battlefields. Uh, so we use two of that. That battlefield set comes with with two. Cardboard boards that give you together the minimum size for, for a combat patrol game. And um, the only way we had to bend the rules was my flesh terror is I don't have any troops choices. And then, so Lewis agreed that I could bring, uh, you know, a perfectly valid uh, not spearhead, that's the assault, uh, that's the heavy one. What's the assault detachment called? Vanguard vanguard so because i had no troops choices at all painted up at the moment uh, he agreed i could bring a vanguard and because we're playing for fun it's it's all cool right and yeah. uh, i'll get some scouts painted as quickly as possible so i can overcome that limitation <laughs> um but you just really a lot of fun and i'd also as part of the tidying up uh, that i've been doing uh during recently i uh, i come across a lot of my old scenery uh, that i've been building over many years um so it was fun to get that out and play over that scenery that we put on the board as well. So just, just I, when, you, like you said, um, Tony, the, the pleasure of coming back and rolling dice is fantastic. I'm so jealous.
2: Yeah, but, uh, it feels so
1: good. It was, yeah. We both just sat there for nearly an hour afterwards just chatting about the game and how it had gone and how much we enjoyed it and what went right and what didn't went wrong. And the, the, the paperwork aspect of it that is in there, uh, and I quite like, I know some people are not so keen, but it was as quick or quicker than a Necromunda game uh, or certainly quicker than a Blood Bowl game in terms of sort of the amount of paperwork that's required to do afterwards.
0: I mean, I think the advantage of it is not a lot of it like, needs to be done in front of your opponent sort of thing. Yeah. So you could just, you know, you can just make your quick notes during the game, and you can almost spend a bit of time the next day or whenever you've just next got time to
1: sort of probably sit and think about it some more. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we wanted to go through it together because it was our first game. We wanted to figure it out, see how it works, all that kind of stuff. But totally, you could could take your time to do all that. You're absolutely right. Excellent, well, it sounds like the pair of you have been really enjoying
0: getting yourselves into ninth edition and just really getting out there and trying things like the Crusade system and all sorts so yeah, it's hopefully it's the start of a another great time to be playing the game
1: yeah, it certainly feels like it uh, there's an awful lot of buzz on social media for people that are playing already. I think all of us and our listeners will have seen that. Yeah, yeah, it really is a good time to be a Portuguese player. So,
0: we might as well then uh, move on to our spotlight topic for tonight and actually discuss our very topical 8th edition mission. <laughs>
1: still valid, still valid. Still valid.
0: So, we'll be, uh,
1: we'll be right back, guys.
0: Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel, with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Down. And we're back, guys. So, for the first time in a little while, we're going to have a deep dive into a mission focus. And this particular mission is Cleanse the Hull from Saga of the Beast. So, for any of you out there that actually happen to have a copy of it to hand, you can find it on page thirty um, of *Psychic Awakening: Saga of the Beast*. And I picked this mission because, frankly, it just sounds cool, and it'd be really like cinematic to see a game like this played out. It's the sort of stuff that you read about in some of the Black Library novels. In fact, I think I've already decided that the thumbnail for this. Um, Podcast on YouTube is going to be that picture of um, Gulliman punching the heads off word bearers on the outside of a
1: ship yeah, with no <laughs> helmet. On. He didn't have a helmet on him, that hard, did he? Yep,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. he did. Just not. hold his breath. Yep. No, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. the image that came to my mind when I first read this mission as well. Um, yes, it just seemed so thematic and, and narrative. Uh, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, like, essentially. This mission represents an attacking force that's landed on the outer hull of a spaceship or equivalent and are now trying to breach their way inside to you know, wreak havoc, destroy the ship, do whatever. And as such, it's a battle that takes place
1: in the Void. Is there, um, is, is there a reason this mission appeals to an Orc player in any way, Tony? <laughs> yeah, so
0: in... <laughs> In The Stargate of the Beast, this represents a particular little bit of the story and the narrative involved with the Orcs, and in particular the Death Skulls. So the original narrative is that the Space Wolves and the selections of other Imperial forces that they've got in their fleet, they actually hide their vessels in this asteroid belt and power them all down, basically pretending to look like derelict, abandoned Imperial ships. So that all these orcs come in and think, "Oh, great, free ships! Let's start looting these," and then they they start landing on like the surfaces of all these um spaceships and they start bringing out you know breaching equipment and um these tools to basically salvage them and basically start breaking them apart or reclaiming them. And when they're busy occupied doing this. All the Space Wolves and Imperial forces on board launch counterattack and basically um, burst out onto the the hulls of their own ships and start fighting the Orcs back Mm -hmm. and catching them completely in crossfire and unsuspecting and they've not had to battle this huge Orc fleet as one force, they've managed to get it to break up and disperse across this asteroid field as they've all tried to stake claims on these Imperial vessels. So you can just imagine the sort of chaos that'll be going on there, um, and these orcs just don't really know what's happening at first. But then they don't care because now it just turns out oh, there's a couple of humies on board we need to get rid of first. Then we can get back to salvaging these ships.
2: We we found this this ship to loot, and as an added bonus, there's a fight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> bonus fight. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> the old
0: and so, yeah, it's um, it's a really weird and interesting one, but we'll, we'll sort of go through it bit by bit. Um, so the battlefield for this mission is set up to sort of resemble the outer hull of a spaceship. So it actually suggests there shouldn't be lots of terrain. It's not going to be hugely dense because obviously it's you know the sort of outer um, edge of a this you know huge spaceship. Um, but might include some large structures to block line of sight, a few walls, stuff like that. You know, you can imagine um, sort of like defensive towers or um, sensory arrays and stuff like that protruding from the surface of these ships. Um, and when you're viewing it at a forty k scale, those could be quite large towers and similar.
1: Um, Sounds like quite a fun modeling project for scenery if you're so inclined. Mm-hmm.
0: It does. I think there's a good crossover here with basically using the sort of Zone Mortalis stuff because rather than having a traditional Zone Mortalis board that's very tightly packed and all small corridors and stuff, you could, say, do quite a dispersed board where you've got large open spaces between sections of walls or taller building bits, and it represents more that sort of like think Star Wars style trench system on the surface of the Death (laughs) Star. Yeah. It sort of conjures that kind of image, doesn't it?
2: You could probably get a a full battlefield out of uh, like a kill team sized amount of um, industrial terrain or something, couldn't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny to think that you're going to be looking at a very industrial board because there really won't be any organic components to it. You're going to be on um a steel surface with you know buildings and walls that represent this surface of a ship so it certainly would be a very interesting um modeling opportunity but i do think there's also a good number of like battle mats and stuff out there that can just look like you know you play playing space is played on a an artificial surface yeah. um, and then has buildings across it
1: Yeah, there's also opportunity to use um, some of the ruined buildings uh, type imperial architecture stuff with the gothic archers and all that kind of stuff is entirely appropriate for the outside of an imperial ship's hull. Yeah, I always remember playing
0: the um, Fire Warrior video game and there's a level or two on that where you're on sort of like the upper decks of a a big gothic imperial battleship and it it has that very sort of cathedral-esque feel to it despite being a sci-fi spaceship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then, in addition to that, when in the context of the mission there are three zones across the board that are known as breaching zones and these are the areas where whatever nefarious mechanical device the attackers are using to try and breach their way physically into the ship are, and again I think these could represent some modeling opportunities I know the first thing that comes to mind for me is using the um, tectonic frag drill terrain piece. I could just imagine orcs having some of those and using them to try and just drill their way into the ship. Yeah. Um or if it's like an imperial force, you could use you could use like Imperial Knights and stuff that are too busy focusing on breaching that they're not actually taking part in the battle, but they could be stood there. You know they're meant to be ripping their way through the hole or blasting with their thermal lances or whatever, and these things could be nice scenery pieces for that game.
1: Yeah, there's also the the other thing that came to mind for me is the, the admec uh, Forge World uh, small tunneling uh, machines. Uh, I can't remember the name of them for the life of is me. It the termites. The termites. That's right. Yeah, the classic old uh, name for the, the squats used to have them, didn't they? Um, and those termite models would be would uh, was something that jumped to my mind as as breach automator.
0: Yeah, so like I, I can imagine that basically sort of setting the scene. You know, you've got this big industrial battle board, and you've got free um, areas where there's something happening. You know, however, the attacker is attempting to breach away into the ship, and um, from there you can envision how the battle's going to play out. So um as for the actual forces included now i think there's a little bit of um sort of creative license allowed here but as written it suggests that neither army should include any vehicles or titanic units unless they are aircraft Mm
1: -hmm.
0: now like i say i think depending on what armies are in use i don't see any problem why dark Eldar couldn't be attacking with venoms and raiders You know, whereas I understand entirely why Orcs are not going to show up with a custom booster blaster (laughs) that's my pirate's way through space. (laughs) Anything that you could imagine fighting in the void or on the hull of a ship, if it feels appropriate, then, you know, maybe a groovy opponent. Like, as written, couldn't technically use Space Marine Dreadnoughts because they're a vehicle. But... Space Ranger knots are known for being fired at planets and drop pods, so why not at enemy ships?
1: So, so how many vehicles do we have available to us in forty K that are both Titanic and aircraft?
0: We <laughs> the main one really is the Manta. Uh, is it the Manta for the Tau? I think oh, the Tau forge a Titanic one. aircraft. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: But no, things like um. DACA jets, burner bombers, crimson hunters, vendettas, any aircraft is allowed because it's assumed that they are void capable for the purposes of this battle. Um, And to be honest, whilst it might feel like some units may or may not be suitable, I actually think it creates an interesting game dynamic if you're playing entirely with infantry Mm -hmm. and then some aircraft. Yeah. Like... I think it really would conjure some of those moments where you know breaching teams or defenders are trying to emerge from like um, foxholes and the little bunkers and pulling out the missile launcher and trying to shoot down the enemy aircraft that's flying around uh, before they get spotted by you.
2: that is um, uh, that is appropriate because there are stratagems attached to this mission as well, aren't there? Uh, one of oh, which yeah, gonna, is gonna... called. Access hatch, uh, and there's another yeah. one called defensive turret. So uh,
0: it, it all comes together, doesn't it? And yeah. uh, we'll cover that a little bit once we've sort of outlined the mission. But yeah, I I do think this really could conjure, you know, some of those ideas of like you know attack runs on the Death Star or similar. You know, like you've got these aircraft flying around and you've got these, you know, defensive forces. Um, on the, you know, air ground that are trying to fend them off um, or even defending aircraft that are, you know, scrambling to try and get out there and defend the ship um, imagine if any of you've played Battlefleet Gothic in the past and you had that little cardboard cutout that represented a little squadron of fighters that would be, you know, <laughs> flying around to protect their frigate or, you know, the ship well, imagine this entire 40k battle was taking place on, you know, like within that piece of cardboard. <laughs> like, there's a little section of the ship where those fighters are tasked with fending off whatever um, breaching torpedoes have made it. And you can just imagine that scene playing out 10 times over across the ship. But this
1: one instance of it is this battle that you're playing the other thing that it reminds me of <clears throat> this this scenario and, and I know there are mixed feelings on the latest star Wars film but in, in the, the end of towards the end of that there's there's the space battle over the planet where the rebels do uh, assault um, the the uh, imperial vessels uh, that are in low orbit right and, and land well I suppose we call them Marines um, on those and try and try and assault them directly so I felt that sort of scene regardless of what people feel the rest of the film, was also the kind of representation that we've got in this battle. Yeah.
0: And sort of layering on top of that is this mission does use a special rule called void suits. So, you know, if this is meant to be a battle taking place in space, you know, on the hull of a ship, then your typical Orc boy who's wearing a T-shirt is probably not <laughs> kitted out you know, be fighting in the void. So there's previously been this kind of unwritten rule that anything that typically has a free plus or better armor save as a model tends to also be wearing something that can be environmentally sealed from a narrative perspective. So typically power armored equivalents or better. Um, and those units, you can imagine fighting on the hull of a ship, mm-hmm. Space Marine in power armor, um, Tau Fire Warrior in a battle suit, you know, um, Eldar Aspect Warriors, you know, depending on the aspect, and so on. Whereas your Guardsman in Flak armor, your Orc in a t-shirt, or your Tyranid Are
1: <laughs>
0: Not typically expected to be in environmentally sealed armor. Dark so, <laughs> Yeah, or even
1: just skin-sealed armor in that I said, case. I said Dark Angel didn't I? meant Dark el- uh, Elder. Apologies. <laughs> hmm.
0: um, so the Void suits rule uh, is as such. You add one to the saving throws, except for invulnerables, for models that have a saving characteristic of 4+, 5+, plus or 6+. plus. But in addition, you subtract one from the movement characteristics of these models. So basically it represents that these armies or units that um, are not typically void safe are obviously for this battle equipped with special equipment and gear mm-hmm. that means that they are capable of fighting in the void so that will re- basically translate as slightly better armoured so if my orcs will have a 5 plus save guardsmen will actually have a 4 plus but as a result of wearing this heavier more specialised equipment they're also a minus 1 movement and as you'll find out later positioning is key in this mission so getting that plus one save on is some that, of your more lightly armored units might also be troublesome because you're going to be slower
1: is that the way around well, tony if i can just read that the avoid suits rule it says add one to the saving throws except for invulnerable saves for models that have a safe characteristic of four five or six is the saving throw is the dice roll you make not the characteristic itself isn't it
0: It is, but what it's doing is that it's helping define... Basically, it's saying units with a 2-plus and a 3-plus characteristic don't get this bonus.
1: I don't think it's a bonus. What I'm saying is, is it really a bonus or is it a detriment that you're more vulnerable in a void suit? If you're adding one to the save throw, and you've normally got a 5-plus save, when you roll your dice, do you not add one to the dice? And therefore, it makes it harder to save. Am I getting this the wrong way, man? No, you're getting it wrong. It's 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 a...
0: Save and you roll a four, yeah, and you add one to the result, you've rolled a five,
1: which succeeds. Oh, right, yeah, I'm getting the maths wrong way around. So, you're more likely yeah. to save, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah it, is, it is notably add one to saving throws, not the saving characteristics, which right. occasionally will come up. Um, well, the, the only example I can think of is there's, there's a weird kind of um interaction if you if you go up to a one up save, but that won't apply. Because it'll only apply to four, up, to three up. Yeah, but uh, it basically
0: it translates to lighter yeah. armored units have a slightly better save in this environment, yeah. but are slow because of it.
1: Okay, that's that's good too. Uh, whereas
0: base marines, it doesn't really matter to them; if they're fighting in a void or not. Their yeah. power armor looks exactly the same.
2: It's uh, it is notable that the uh, scenario is built around orcs, so you'd be ending up with five up save orcs that move four inches.
0: <laughs> yes, like those are, you know, heavily armored orcs.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, you you uh, could spend some CP and give them the um, Ard Boys upgrade as well, yeah. and then they'd go up to a four up save, and that'd be quite good.
0: It's too bad there won't be any vehicles near them to explode, so you can loot them for. An extra yeah, that's boost. true.
1: What What does it do to uh, Gretchen? <laughs> it gives them a save, doesn't it? <laughs> it gives them a six up uh, save. Yeah.
2: Interestingly, it's only for models with a four up, five up, or six up. So if you have, uh, there's some models out there with a seven up save, like Poxwalkers and stuff. They wouldn't be affected at all.
1: That's true, (laughs) and they wouldn't be be reduced in movement. They just. But you can imagine Poxwalkers walking on the side outside of a ship, unarmored, right?
2: Yeah, I can't imagine they need spacesuits. No,
0: (laughs) I'd be curious to know how they got there. (laughs) Uh, What magic? Yeah, what magic? Uh, so then, so you've sort of got the grasp of the armies in use, the battlefield that you're fighting over, and then how you actually get deployed, now this is one of the other reasons why I like this scenario, and I like a couple of the various narrative ones to do this one force in this case the defender, doesn't start on the board, like everything the defender has starts off the board and in fact the attacker has the entire board pretty much play with as their deployment zone Um, so the attacker sets up their army anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from either of the defenders battlefield edges which in this case is both long table edges are considered to be the defenders edges Uh, the attacker cannot set up any units from other locations such as teleportariums the sky the webway whatever Like, you're committed at this point. However your attacking forces got there, they've already gotten there. So, you know, your Terminators have already teleported to the enemy ship. Um, Your burrowing units or equivalents have already landed via boarding torpedoes. Your aircraft are already flown in. You're there at this point. You know, you're on your beachhead. You don't have reserves. Whereas the Defender's Army is not set up on the battlefield... But if they have any units that can be set up in other locations, they can be because, you know, they have got the drop. They're still in their hangar bays, their teleportarums, whatever. Um, yeah, so that that's, be- <laughs> that's basically it. So the, uh, the, the attacker sets up their army, air quotes, first, in that they're the only person setting them up. But they get the <laughs> entire board pretty much to spread out. And all the defenders' units will be either arriving from the long table edges or from deep strike equivalents. Now, the reason why you don't want to spread too thin though, as the attacker is because of how, um, the breaching automata work. So how these breaching zones are handled. So here's the fun part of podcasting where I have to try and describe the measurements of a deployment map to you.
1: <laughs> we always love this
0: part, Johnny, go ahead. Yeah, so essentially each of these um, breaching zones are a 12 inch square area. And there's three of them positioned basically equidistant diagonally across the board. So your very center, 12 by 12 inch square, is one breaching zone. And then in like one corner, um, eight inches in, will be the next. 12-inch square area, and on the opposite corner of the board will be the other 12-inch square. So essentially, you've got two that are within eight inches, of two co- two opposite corners, and one in the centre. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yeah, good. Matches the diagram. Um... And the objective of the game is basically, in a weird twist, the attacker has to defend these breaching zones and the defender has to destroy the breaching devices within these breaching zones. So, uh, this is achieved as follows. Um, The attacker has attached a number of breaching devices to the ship's hull and must defend them while they cut through. If at the end of any turn, a unit from the defender's army is within a breaching zone as shown on the map below slash my wonderful description (laughs) um and there are no units from the attacker's army within the breaching zone the breaching device for that breaching zone are said to have been destroyed so notably there's no actions there's no toughness or wounds to the devices it is just a matter of if they are left undefended they are destroyed so long as a defending a defender's unit is within the breaching zone.
2: Also, notably at the end of any turn, not just the attacker or defender's turn, any turn. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't matter about being engaged or objective secured or anything like that. So you could um there could be a weird scenario where the defender has units in the breaching zone that are in engaged with an attacking unit that's outside the breaching zone and they would still destroy the breaching device if they're able to keep the enemy unit outside of the perimeter
1: they're just like big 12 inch square objective areas right
0: and yeah yeah destroy the the objective you need need to make sure you have units in it at all times because if you don't your enemy can destroy the devices or if you don't you're not destroying them (laughs) depending (laughs) on what you're trying to achieve And the victory condition is uh, dead simple. Basically, it's just at the end of the game, which is set as five rounds, um, which I thought was unusual when I first looked at this. But now we know a little bit more about ninth. (laughs) Five battle rounds is a very typical standard game. And it's funny how you can see now, of hindsight, how
1: some of these missions were clearly designed with ninth in mind. Yeah, it's very interesting as well as somebody who's played. Long time ago fourth uh, second edition used to have four turns and everybody used to feel that was a little bit short so it's interesting to see it's going back towards those um, slightly shorter than we used to for length games but um, but they were good games nevertheless so um, it's interesting
0: so uh, the victory conditions for this game is if at the if any of the breaching devices have not been destroyed at the end of the battle the attacker is the winner If the breaching devices in breaching zones A, B, and C have been destroyed at the end of the battle, the Defender wins. So it's all or nothing, basically. If there's any single breaching device left at the end of the fifth battle round, the attacker wins. If they've all been destroyed, the Defender wins. And unlike scenarios such as Sky Strike or Doomsday Device, where you have to commit time and energy to physically destroying You know these objectives. These ones don't, you just have to clear the enemy off them and they're automatically destroyed. So that leaves more time for guns blazing at each other. Um, And then the, I guess the one rule we haven't covered is basically just explaining how the defenders move, uh, defenders units move onto the board, but it's pretty straightforward. Cleanse the ship. At the end of each of their movement phases, the defender can set up any number of units from the army on the battlefield. These can be set up anywhere within six inches of either long table edge. And um, as a side note, the Defender has the first turn in this mission because if they didn't, there'd be no enemy units on the board when the attacker.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, it's one of these missions where, you know, one force starts completely off the board, but is also freely able to just move on at any point in any amount. Yeah you it, know, as they choose
2: it's it's also notable that there's no um uh no re- uh no requirement to not be within 9 inches of an enemy or anything like that when they turn up yeah. it's just no, 6 no inches on or anything like that you just appear yeah 6 inches on. which so, is uh, which yeah you can get right into it
1: which is in within 2 inches of two of the tackle breaching uh, 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 zones breaching yep. zones
2: so the uh the attacker's gonna have to be very careful during deployment not to leave one of them open because then the defender's gonna just shove everything onto that turn well, one, aren't they?
1: I I think it depends how you're gonna play it as the defender because uh, the attacker, I mean, because uh, you may choose to leave one and defend the other too heavily. Um, mm. depends how, how, how your force is structured, right?
0: Yeah, because ultimately as the attacker when, um, there's no scale of victory here, so winning with one surviving breaching device is the same as winning with all three. Yep. Yeah. Um, but then, as a defender, like you say, um, you could easily shove all your forces onto one end of the board to really overwhelm one objective, possibly push to the center objective. But if you've only got stragglers left, you might struggle to get across the board to Especially that third Since
1: You mostly got infantry, right? Yes, because yep.
0: again, as written, you've got no vehicles and only aircraft. Uh, if you've got jump infantry, it's also worth remembering uh, that is easier, but terminators
1: yeah. or those uh, reduced movement void suits uh, really come
0: into play. That then. too, yes. If you're the defender and you're the army that's having the void suits that reduce your movement, those movement four orcs are not going to be getting all the way across mm-hmm. the board. They're going to have to multiple table edges to really put pressure on.
2: Well, the the defenders are the space walls, right? So uh, they're going to be um, moving full as speed, written, yeah. as written, yeah. Uh, and they're going to be getting into combat on turn one most of the time, aren't they?
0: You would expect yeah, but Oxal so. like that, they yeah. It, with that. it
2: would be a quite a uh, a, a bloody battle, I imagine.
0: Hmm. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there are a couple of additional stratagems. Um, available to both forces in this game. So we've got 3 attacker stratagems and 3 defender ones. So, um, as the attacker, first of all, for 2 CP, you can use Boarding Craft. Use this stratagem at the end of your movement phase. Select one infantry unit from your army that has been destroyed and does not contain more than 10 models. Set that unit up again anywhere on the battlefield that is more than 9 inches away from any enemy models. So that essentially is kind of creating like a sustained assault effect. Mm-hmm. If you pay 2 CP, you can recycle dead units. So those are the reserves the attacker is able to
1: keep recommitting to the assault. Although the way in which CP's changed in 9th, I guess you most forces would probably have had more command points available in 8th, right? Um, to,
0: probably uh, not true. I think that the majority of forces probably have a few more CP to play around with in ninth edition now. Okay, I, I think I um, in this particular yeah. example, orcs debatably might have a few less.
2: Yeah, orcs, orcs are one of the few where they they generally did have more. But yeah, a a standard force, most of them would okay, have uh, more now. Yeah, um, obviously...
1: my experience of ninth is not. We've heard how deep deep it goes so far, so uh, <laughs>
0: <you're>
1: fine. <laughs> that's fine.
0: So, it's interesting that obviously, as the defender, you might have to consider that there will be re-deep striking enemy units mm-hmm. that might be appearing. And it might not be ones that could typically do it, it could be orc looters who suddenly re-deep strike onto the table on the other side of the board. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you are going to be getting attacked on all fronts. Additionally, um, the second stratagem for the attacker is protect the breaches. Use the stratagem at the end of the enemy charge phase. Select one unit from your army that is in three inches of one of any of the breaching zones. You can immediately perform a heroic intervention with that unit as if it was a character. Now, that's really cool because it's providing heroic intervention to units and it is for the purposes of defending these breaching zones and i think that is a really characterful stratagem for this mission and notably the defender has an identical stratagem as well for one cp called last ditch effort so again they use this at the end of the enemy charge phase select a unit in three inch of a breaching zone it can immediately perform heroic intervention mm-hmm. So when you've got both forces can be pulling these heroically intervening unit strats on you know, multiple or the same breaching zones, you can suddenly have forces that are actually really converging on these breaching zones really quickly. Especially if they're feral orcs and they're getting six-inch
1: concentration.
2: <laughs> yeah, it could be a quite dynamic situation, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, narratively, okay. I ask you, I would have to ask if you could actually ever get a uh, Ferel into hide a suit. <laughs> they'll just hold their breath for a long time. <laughs> oh, they'll be fine. Then. No, that's cool. That's absolutely explainable.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably will use some kind of um, respirator squig. I'm sure it exists. Respirator squig. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, there really is this sort of sense of counter-charge that exists in this mission because of these two stratagems. Um, and I think it will really add an extra layer to the combats particularly, especially when, again, now in ninth we know that the opposing player actually gets to pick the first unit activate after non-charging units. Mm. Which, when these are, these are interventions, these are not charges you yeah. could actually end up with quite a few instances throughout the game where there's more non-charging units than charging you know, any given to
2: Yeah, that could be quite a risk, couldn't it, then? It if could. You, uh, if you pile in, but yeah, it, well, if you're stood there and the enemy piles into you and fights first.
0: <laughs> and then the last charge available to attackers is 1CP for breaching charges. Use a stratagem in your shooting phase. Select an enemy unit that has five or more models that has been six inches of a unit from your army. That enemy unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. The stratagem can only be used once per battle. So basically, whatever tools or equipment have been brought along to breach the hull can temporarily be turned on the attacking enemies. And uh, you might not get a lot of enemies with your cutting torch, but the ones you do get are going to be cut in half.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that being a a last ditch, uh oh the enemy's gonna gonna destroy my thing. I've gotta use it. Use my breaching charges this turn, but then you can't use it again.
1: That seems something like a, a stratagem that if we're building our own scenarios we could use with the Gene steel cult in, 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 in other missions, uh instead of a reuse, right? Oh definitely
0: um And then we've got the two other defending stratagems, which are the two that you mentioned earlier, Dan. Um, mm-hmm. First is the access hatch for 1CP. Use a stratagem at the end of your movement phase. Select a unit from your army that has not yet been set up on the battlefield. Set it up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than 9 inches from any enemy models. So, 1CP, you get to deep strike one of your units that's not currently been deployed, and that could be any unit.
1: So I guess that allows a little bit more maneuverability as well, maybe deal with some of those uh, slower void-suited troops.
0: He can suddenly pop up behind them, or yeah. um, if the attacker has just used boarding craft to basically redeploy a destroyed unit, you could unit, use a unit you're still holding in reserve to now like pop up behind those, or possibly try and head them off before they get to a breaching zone, um, which even if they did, then both you and them could then be intervening into other units that are already on those Breaching Zones. <laughs> you know, there really is a lot of counter-manoeuvring in this mission. And then finally, the last stratagem for the defender is Defensive Turret for 2 CP. Use a stratagem in your shooting phase. Select one enemy unit that is within 18 inches of a character model from your army and visible to them, and roll 1d6. On a 2-5, to five, the enemy unit is d3 mortal wounds. On a 6, the enemy unit suffers six mortal wounds. So, I love that this basically represents a commander of your forces, like commandeering um one of the actual spaceship's defensive turrets and turning it on the enemies in the battle. He's like, you know, he's on the com link or whatever to the admiral, and he's like, no, I need the, you know, I need the defensive weapons in sector seven or whatever turned on these orcs right now because they're gonna be breaching the hull. I don't care if there's a fighter bomber that currently is being traced through the sky. That's not our problem right now. This is...
1: It's sort of the the, uh, the mission equivalent to an orbital strike, right? Yeah, Basically, yes.
0: It's, except it's not so orbital as in it's right there. Yeah. It. You're
1: already in orbit.
2: <laughs> you can open the hatch and chuck the ordnance just straight out
0: onto them.
1: Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And um and yeah, that's that's the overview of cleanse the hull. And again, I just think this is this would be such a cool mission to play. Like I say, we've already mentioned there's so many different layers of um, sort of manoeuvring, counter manoeuvring, deep striking, reserving, outflanking, just all sorts of different real tactical manoeuvring in this mission, mm-hmm. which I think. It, might be difficult to fully appreciate until you've actually played it.
2: It it feels like there'll be a lot of kind of punch, counter-punch type stuff going on.
0: I think it feels like there'll be a lot of sporadic fights breaking out all over the board as opposed to two sort of defined battle lines that are either clashing or one sort of castled force weathering the storm of another breaking against it. This feels like it really would be a sort of scene from you know, any of those AAA movies where there's a big battle going on and the camera keeps panning from one conflict to another to another to another.
1: It feels like the kind of mission as well where you'd be inclined to, to play it again to try and get on top of what you didn't get right the first time, and, and that would apply both ways.
0: Yes, I mean, I know for me personally, I think this would be a brilliant mission to try out the Death from the Skies rules. Because if you're playing a game where you haven't got any vehicles other than aircraft, adding that dogfighting phase could actually really add another layer to the game. So you haven't got tanks rolling around firing battle cannons or dreadnoughts stomping into combat. But what you have got is you've got all these aircraft that probably both players have brought, and they are actually going to be switching between performing strafing runs against the infantry on the surface and actually chasing and maneuvering around each other to try and get angles of attack on enemy aircraft.
2: Yeah. And even, even without that, um, the, uh, the ninth edition changes to aircraft uh, would uh, be beneficial for this scenario
0: where you can, you know, go off the board and come back again. Yes, definitely. You know, just be able to sort of properly fly off and re-engage from a different angle.
2: I mean, it would, as much as anything in this kind of game, uh, represent kind of just going straight up and then flipping <laughs> around in space, coming back down again.
0: Uh, just full-on uh, flying around the circumference of the ship. Yeah. Like the large spaceship, just coming back around from underneath. Yeah, it's really cool. And I think it would make a brilliant modelling project for anyone that wants to build... You know, a board to represent the whole of a ship. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it could just create a really unique game with not a huge amount of, you know, time and effort, if that makes sense. You don't have to go the full 10 miles and make your own unique battleship board. You could do it with just a good choice of game mats and it. His-
2: yeah, I think yeah. it's, uh, it can be, it can be good with almost any amount of effort put in. Um, and, uh, I mean, uh, kind of surface of a starship terrain is is your classic um, polystyrene packaging blocks painted grey.
0: It really is, actually, isn't it? Yeah.
2: So uh, you could quite easily make something look quite convincing you know, with a bit of a, a you know, a couple of afternoons DIY.
0: I mean, if you've been on any of like, the Necromunda terrain groups and stuff on Facebook, you'd be able to see the amount of things that people can you know, create out of the recycling bin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you could turn your hands to do it to a spaceship hole as well.
1: Yeah, it's, and some of the, you know, more well, classic designs, yoghurt pots make great uh, bases for uh, good emplacements and um, it, lots of food packaging as well as polystyrene packaging can be converted into easy structures and walls and things that are the, the detritus of a, as the top of a starship, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, all of the starships in the old sci-fi shows were made out of bits and pieces and yeah, old model kits and stuff, and right? So bits, yeah. you're you're basically doing that stuff.
0: And I think there's really a whole like progression of stuff you can do with this. So I've seen across a couple of publications over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months that represent different battles that are happening at kind of different stages of what you would consider like a spaceship, uh, not a spaceship battle, a battle on a spaceship. Um, and there's one, so for example, in Vigilus Ablaze, there's a mission called um, like Assault on the Bridge, which is meant to be when this demonic incursion happens on Calga's um, flagship and it actually is a battle on the bridge of a spaceship. And the mission revolves around like damaging um, the like control systems and panels and slaying the crew and stuff of the ship you know, in order to sort of take it over or take command. And between missions like this, where you know you're an attacking force that lands on the exterior of the ship, missions where it's like taking over the bridge. And ones that could be repurposed, like Doomsday Device, um, where rather than setting off a missile or some other thing, it's actually someone trying to overload the like plasma core of the ship. Yeah, you know, um, I can see you creating a sort of like you know a three to five mission running narrative where you actually run through this like season capture of an enemy spaceship. You know, you can start with cleanse the hull, and then. If you get in the enemy ship you can then do like the breakout mission um which is in phoenix rising represents um what's her name your brain escaping across the board to a webway pole at the other end but you could repurpose that as the breaching forces made it into the ship and now they're trying to race to the bridge as quickly as they can to take over the ship and then if they succeed at that, you can then do the Assault on the Bridge mission. And if they you know, succeed at that, maybe the defending player is then trying to like, right, well, we'll, you know, we'll scold the ship if, rather than let them have it. So now we're actually going to try and you know, overload the Plasma Core and the attack has to stop them from achieving that and so on.
1: Is, like, the I can really... is the breakout mission the one that we talked about a few episodes ago where they, you lay out bits of the battlefield as you go? No, that's the serpent's lure. That's because, a little different. Oh yeah, that's because we had trouble saying lure, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> that, but that one could be used for for racing through the ship to get to a place as well. doing each tile section yeah. as a different corridor of the ship. If you were using zone layout. layouts as well.
0: That'd be
2: yeah, very that... good if you had a yeah, the um like a dungeon
0: tile type setup yeah that'd work really well for that um and then the other one thing that sort of came to mind for me was if this is a mission that represents battling in some sort of sealed environment so in this case the void why could this not be repurposed to represent like an underwater conflict or equivalent Mm -hmm. you know you've got diving forces that i know there's a couple of instances of stories in. Um, sort of like codexes and stuff. I think there's a famous one in the Space Warps one where they just um, they just drop some Land Raiders into the ocean in you know, order to get to this underwater tower base. And these Land Raiders, because they're environmentally sealed, they just drop to the ocean bed and then just drive up to the base. And these Terminators, who also are in environmentally sealed suits, just walk out of these Land Raiders and just smash their way into the base. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I could imagine that being like a repurposed version of this mission where rather than fighting in space on a spaceship, you're fighting underwater and you've landed or reached the exterior dome, you know, this underwater complex. That's a
1: really good
2: idea. Yeah, I mean, that works just as well, doesn't it? Uh, You could also have it in like uh, like a radiation storm or something like that. Yeah, where everyone happened yeah. to be in sealed suits. Uh, yeah, and-
0: um, or you, you could do it like um, the Battle of Calf, but still on the surface of Calf during all the radiation yeah. storms happening under, um, under the surface in the caves. Like, there's lots of cool scenarios. Yeah. And I did particularly like the idea that with the underwater battle idea, you could use the speed war um, battle zone to represent rather than a roaming orc speedwa crashing through the you know the battlefield and causing destruction to both sides it could represent the attack by some giant sea creature <laughs> you know so this battle's going on and at some point it's attracted the attention of you know some alien kraken or equivalent that's you know <laughs> um, decided to come through and have its meal for the day
1: nice I think the other place, uh, these rules, some of these rules could be repurposed as well with this mission. It's not quite as imaginative as the underwater scenario, I think Tony, but um, you know, installations on airless moons and things like that, uh, where you might not want the breaching zones in quite the same way. Uh, huh. But the you know the basic rules could be repurposed for a different kind of mission uh, in that kind of environment.
0: I mean, to be honest, there's no reason why you couldn't just lift the void suits rule yeah. from this mission wholesale and kind of apply it to any mission. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, I imagine it would be pretty useful to to play in, say, a a crusade mission. You could just whack the void suit rule on, and then suddenly you're playing in, you know, supply cash on the surface of a, a an airless moon or whatever.
0: I could just imagine trying to play um, running battle, the one where the, the board's kind of like a, a treadmill um, and the, <laughs> the units are slowly moving backwards if they don't move forwards fast enough. But if you're using armies that are reduced movement because they're in void suits, they're almost just trying to fight that inevitable drag to <laughs> towards yeah. their doom. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: there's... um. There's plenty of uh, cool narrative stuff to sort of take from this mission. I mean, I think just playing it stock for starters is brilliant, yeah. but when you've got the options of things like death from the skies, or taking the void suit, for something else, or creating a campaign based on seizing an enemy ship, you know, there's really a lot to play with here. And we haven't even touched on things like using the um the spaceship interior battle zone, <laughs> which is I not mean. A really yeah, you can apply. the The other
2: thing you could do is is take out the void shield, the uh, the void suit's rule, uh, and just play it as a standard uh, mission. Yeah, a standard mission where people are you know digging into the surface of the planet to uncover archaeotech or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, in your follow up mission, you could use the underground battlefield on the perilous Cabin, because you've breached into it, and now you're you're battling on the interior.
2: Yeah, that would work pretty well, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope um, some of the listeners out there give it a try and uh, let us know what it's like and possibly as like I say just feel inspired to try anything that we talked about tonight because honestly this is this is the sort of stuff that makes me want to get out there and play ninth edition again. Like and again this is well I'm sorry. Get out and play Forty K again, this time ninth edition. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like it's there's so much great stuff out there that I know I personally just don't have the time to play it all right now. And this is why I love really diving deep into making sure that any game I do get chance to play is just as cool as it can be. So yeah, maybe maybe at some point in in the near future, Dan. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll have to come up. Maybe we do play a game of cleanse the hole. Maybe. I'm
2: I'm certainly willing to give it a go. Awesome. Although maybe it'll be orcs against orcs.
0: Well, clearly one of us is trying to get the better loot from the other one.
2: Yeah, it works for me.
0: Yeah, as long as there's a good fight. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think that's about sort of everything for this latest Mission Focus, so just before we finish up for the evening, how about we just go through our traditional community spotlights? We've definitely had enough time to have seen some stuff inspiring us across the community since the last show, so um, what have you got for us, Dave?
1: Yeah, I've kind of fallen back uh, in lockdown to uh, listening to podcasts quite a lot. I've not been consuming very much video material, apart from some of the Games Workshop release announcements on Twitch. Uh, but I think we all know about those. I don't think they need to be highlighted particularly. Um, So, um, in the absence of uh, any narrative Wargamer podcast to listen to, um, some of the stuff I've been listening to has really been Sprues and Brews. I think we've talked about those guys before. Uh, They always give a fantastic summary of where where we're at and what they're working on, and uh, they're really good. Um, and Two Peas in a Pod. Still love Two Peas in a Pod. Uh, they uh, they also give some fantastic coverage, uh, especially the 40k, but they also cover uh, different things as well. Uh, like the, the, the They always have a, a, I've forgotten the name of the game now. Age of Sigma segment as well, uh, which is good for those. Yeah, they're, they're very
0: good all GW subjects podcast. They'll talk about anything from Age of Sigma, to the Lord of the Rings, to Aeronautica, pretty much they they sort of dabble in all of it, don't they? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I I guess on Facebook, uh, there's a group that I joined at the start of lockdown called the Isolation Painting Challenge Group. And folks have just been posting up pictures of their miniatures or their works in progress, that, uh, if they're not finished, uh, of the miniatures they're working on and getting inspiration. And it's there's a huge variety there. It's not 40k specific, there's a lot of 40k on there. But Age of Sigmar stuff, Ancient Roman stuff, 6mm things, 172 scale. Uh, if you like a bit of variety in your war game, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of a war gaming Butterfly. Um a uh, absolutely inspirational and supportive group there'd be no negativity no politics none of the nonsense you sometimes get in some places on social media just folks posting pictures of the figures they're working on and talking about them and it's been fantastic
0: excellent and um have you got anything you'd like to mention dan uh yeah um sure
2: i've uh I'm, i think um the uh, the episode that never was uh, I <laughs> talked extensively about being in battle reports so uh, I think it's it's fair to mention the reports that I've been in or the people that I've been in I'll plug the people uh, so uh, the uh, the main one that I've I've been in the most is uh, Sorcerer Dave who uh, has a YouTube channel that mostly does video game stuff um but he also does 40k battle reports that've got a, a very narrative focus to them uh so i think it's it's quite appropriate that for for this uh podcast that a lot of people would probably uh, if you like watching battle reports you' probably like them um and, and then I've also been on uh one with uh winters SEO uh and one with liam uh liam dempsey also of deployment zone tv they're uh, they're kind of paid for um channel of battle reports. Uh, which is uh i yeah i pay a little bit to to watch them i think they're very good um and in particular i like to kind of shout out towards uh winters uh as i don't know if anyone has seen recently but he posted a very powerful uh, kind of moving video of his uh, his talk about his struggle with depression uh and i think that, that probably kind of hit a mark with a lot of people uh and it it kind of uh it was it's quite an important video i think uh, so i, have I got to make that one out. Watch,
0: but it is in my feed and it's on my uh, to watch list
2: yeah it's um uh it's, there there were many onions were cut while watching <laughs> that
0: yeah like definitely definitely check it out then um and then for myself uh, i've actually got a pair of instagram accounts to follow because i think they are doing some brilliant stuff with terrain in particular in 40k. Um, So the first one is, he's actually pretty new to Instagram, but he's already been taking off really well. And that is the Amateur Wargamer, all one word. And he's been doing some brilliant sort of like cities of death stuff and um, sort of these urban city boards. And he's been kind of cataloging everything he sort of does basically like a, a visual sort of blog almost um and he's been showing sort of progression he's made over a year so sort of where he was a year ago to where he is now and i think it's it's just really brilliant to see and like see how his ideas come together and there's some really good inspiration there um and it just really does show how well you can achieve something while still being as his name suggests quite amateur at it. You know, he's not a professional terrain builder. He's not a professional, um, like, you know, video producer or whatever, you know, where he showcases his stuff. He just does it himself off his own back to make his own terrain and have a good time with it. And it's really decent quality. So, um, yeah, I think he's definitely worth checking out. And then, weirdly, almost on the opposite end of the scale is um, another fella who goes by Rapid underscore tabletop. And he does some like truly spectacular 40k scenery, and he does really special stuff with the Zomotilus kits and loads of spectacular things for Necromunda. I know he's recently just started up like um, a Patreon for basically <laughs> terrain building, like, he ha- he does like commission based terrain building now and painting and stuff, and he always posts up. Um, pictures of like the latest Somo Talis tile he's been working on um, or he also does the really high-end gothic imperial scenery so he's actually got an entire board now of um, shrine world terrain which is something I've never seen done before but it looks amazing because it's basically taking the sector imperialis kits and blending it with Age of Sigma stuff. So stuff like the Shattered Vaults terrains, so like the um, the multi-stepped sort of like temple stuff, like the Sigmarite temple stuff, and also using a lot of the um, sort of like mortuary terrain, you know, the sort of like the undead buildings and stuff, because it has that very gothic archaic feel to it and when he combines it with the sector imperialis kits it really does have this oppressive imperial feeling to it but it's done in such a grandiose way that it looks like it's basically a board that looks like it's built for sisters of battle and he does play with his sisters of battle army on it a lot but he like he's got all sorts of stuff and it's just really impressive and he does it so fast I don't know how he turns it around so quickly.
2: Hence he's the, the kind name. Of guy who,
0: yeah, hence the name. <laughs> but like, he's the kind of guy who just on the weekend decides, oh, I'm going to build a new, you know, multi-storied, unique custom-built kit-bashed piece of, you know, 40k scenery or Zomo Thales and paint it yeah. Yeah, this Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yes. But it's spectacular and you should go check it out because... If nothing else, there's some brilliant inspiration in there. I know for myself, I'm certainly gonna you know take a few ideas and uh, try to apply them myself because they look brilliant.
2: Uh, well, I have just followed both of them, so uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um. So yeah, definitely go do that, guys. Go check them out. Um. Don't forget to check in with our own Facebook group and our own Instagrams and uh, Twitter feeds and all the rest of it. Um, it's been great being able to actually record again for you guys. Dan, it's been one Again, time. again. In time, yeah. <laughs> um, and pain,
1: the pain will fade in
0: time, Tony. Don't worry. <laughs> it will. But like hopefully, it shouldn't be two and a half months again till the next episode. <laughs> so, you know hang in there and hopefully it won't be too long until we get the next one out to you guys but definitely thank you very much for being here for this episode thank you to the listeners for listening and until next time guys this has been the narrative wargaming podcast helping you to discover more ways to play 40 games